Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Abraham's descendants inherit the promised land. Abraham inherits the promised land of heaven. And we do too, if we believe in the same God. This is Joshua 18 and 19. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Have you ever thought about that, that we have a promised land too? Not a land here on this earth, but a land that God has promised that we will live in forever with him after we die. We have the promised land of heaven. Even though Abraham lived in Israel, he never actually owned any of the land that he lived on, and he never got to see the nation of Israel, but he inherited the land of heaven. He was waiting on that land. And if we believe in the same God that Abraham believed in, place our trust in him, follow him like Abraham did, then the Bible says we are children of Abraham. Therefore, we inherit the things that a child of his would inherit. And this is a much better land because it's forever and it's with God. So let's get right into the lesson. I'm not going to read these chapters. I'm just going to tell them to you because reading is going to be difficult to understand. But whenever the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River, they made their camp in Gilgal, which was just a couple of miles on the other side. And that's where their camp has been up to this point. But that is too far east and it's not centrally located for everyone. So chapter 18 starts out by telling us that they moved their camp to Shiloh, which is more centrally located. And everyone will now worship there. This is where the tabernacle is and where they will go to worship as a collective body when they do that or any time that the whole nation meets. This is where they'll meet in Shiloh. And last week, if you remember, Joshua gave land to five of the 12 tribes of Israel. And now there's still seven tribes left and they've moved their camp. These other tribes have already gotten their land. And so he kind of rebukes these seven tribes and says, hey, do y'all not even care? Like no one has come to me and said, I want this piece of land or can I have my land or anything like that. And so he tasks these seven tribes with going out and surveying the rest of the land. And they take someone from each of the seven tribes. They go out and survey the land, completely map it out, take it into seven different sections, and then bring the detailed sheet to Joshua so that he can see these are our seven different allotments. And then what God told them to do is to cast lots for this land. And so this would be kind of like, you know, drawing straws or rolling a dice or whatever. 
And this is the way that they would decide things oftentimes back then to show that man is taken out of it. It looks to us when we roll dice like it's by chance. But when you're doing something for God, it's showing that God is the one in charge of who gets what. So God rolls the dice to the right number for the right person and so on. Proverbs 16.33 tells us that this is the way that this works. And it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So you can cast the lot, but I decide what the lot lands on. And this was God's way of designating which tribe got what piece of land. Now, remember, some of these pieces are going to be bigger than others, but presumably the the people have already, they're the ones that decided these lots. God did not decide this. They went out and said, you know, this is going to be one tiny lot and this is going to be one big lot. And most likely that's because they know what type of land was there, what land was inhabitable, what land was going to be easy to, you know, raise cattle on or grow things or whatever. And so maybe if it's a bigger piece of land, it's because that piece of land isn't good enough to do anything with. So it would be like me saying, you cut the pie. And then you've decided that all these pieces are, you know, going to be this size. And so you can't fuss when you get one of the pieces. That's kind of the way that this is working. And so they've divided all of it up. They think that this is fair and that whoever gets what piece, they'll be happy with. And so Joshua begins casting these lots. Now, the first lot falls to Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin gets the portion of land that is between Judah. Remember, Judah got the whole southern portion of the land. It's between Judah and Joshua's portion. Remember that last week they allotted uh, Ephraim, a tiny little sliver, and then the half tribe of Manasseh, the rest of, of the north. And so um, jo uh, Benjamin is getting this sliver between Joseph's family's land and Judah's land. And this sliver of land began at the northern bay of the Salt Sea and went a few miles north of the, into the Jordan, uh, up the Jordan River. And then it reached both boundaries of the West Bank. Jericho, Gibeon, and Avim were significant cities in this area. Y'all remember Jericho was the very first battle that they ever fought. And then Gibeon is the land that tricked them into enslaving them instead of killing them. And then Avim, the reason I mentioned that, because otherwise we wouldn't know it, this is one of the places that God told Joshua in the beginning, yeah, these are some of the places that haven't yet been conquered, and this is one of them. So we know that there are still people living in this land that uh, have not been defeated. And then. He also shared Jerusalem with Judah. So remember, Judah's to their south. Judah gets the southern part of Jerusalem, and Benjamin gets the northern part. And so we know this. And then the most significant city, other than probably Jerusalem, is Bethel. Bethel 
is the first place that God gave Abraham the promised land. And it's the place that we identify with Jacob's ladder. Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright and got sent away because they were afraid that Esau was going to kill him because he had done this. And so Isaac sent him away to another land. And so Jacob is leaving this land. He's sad. He doesn't get to be with his family. He's probably wondering how everything is going to work out. And he stops in Bethel for the night. And while he's asleep that night, God comes to him in a dream. And in this dream is a ladder that reaches from earth to heaven. And that's the reason it's called Jacob's Ladder. Angels are ascending and descending on this ladder, showing that God is working from heaven to earth. He is busy doing things on this earth all of the time. He's interacting with us. And God stands at the top of this ladder and he reiterates the promise to Jacob. Jacob is feeling rejected from his family and God says, you may be feeling low right now and yes, you do have to leave, but eventually your family will in, will inherit this land. Esau will not inherit this land. Your dad sent this promise down to you and now I'm sending it down to you. I'm letting you know you do have this land. This is your inheritance. And when Jacob woke up, he called the place Bethel. It used to be called Luz. And he called it Bethel, which means the house of God, because he says God's presence is certainly here. And then many years later, after Jacob does return to the land, he has to flee the land of Shechem because his sons do something bad there. And he runs back to Bethel. And when he gets there to Bethel, God reiterates the promise to him again. And this time he renames him Israel. And so Israel, Jacob, is the father of the 12 tribes that we're talking about. The 12 tribes of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. You see how all that works. And so this is Bethel. That is in Benjamin's land. Now, the next lot falls to Simeon. And he receives territory of just a circular area in the middle of Judah's land. Again, remember, Judah has all of the southern land. And so he's got too much, no reason that he should have all of that. And so Simeon's land is right there in the middle of it. But also the reason that Simeon receives this land specifically, the only one that receives land in the midst of someone else's land, is because Jacob, when his dad Jacob died, he told Simeon and Levi, your land will be scattered amongst the rest of your brothers. And the reason for this is because they are the reason that the family had to leave Shechem. When Jacob came to the land, he bought a piece of land in Shechem and he planned on staying there. And then they, one of the men of Shechem raped their sister Dinah and then asked for their hand in marriage, which is backwards. And the dad said yes, 
But the sons said, okay, yeah, we'll let you do that if you will become circumcised like us because we can't let our sister marry someone that's uncircumcised. And he got all of the nation to be circumcised. And when they all circumcised themselves, while they were all still wounded from their surgery, those brothers attacked them and killed them all. And so Jacob had to flee from this area. And because of that, because of these two brothers were the instigators of that, Simeon and Levi, they said, Jacob told them, your land will be in the midst of your brothers. This is what he said in Genesis 49, 5, 6, and 7. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so this was both of their punishments that they wouldn't get to dwell just in a land by themselves, presumably because he says that their dwelling place is a dwelling place of cruelty. He said, you don't get a lot all by yourself. Simeon, you're going to be within the land of Judah so that you're surrounded by the people of Judah so that you won't do anything stupid again because your brothers will be around you. Phineas who was Aaron, the priest Aaron, that was his grandson, he redeemed the tribe of Levi by honoring God's law about marriage to the Midianite women when no one else did. It says he was zealous for his God. And because he was zealous for his God, then God made his tribe the tribe that was in charge of working on God's behalf for the people because he was zealous for his God. And so now the Levites are God's priesthood for life. And so their land is scattered throughout all the rest of the tribes because each tribe has a central tabernacle or sanctuary where they can meet and not have to go to the central sanctuary that's there in Shiloh until just certain times. But normally they can go to their their one that's closer to them. And so Levi didn't actually, that was public land. That wasn't actually Levitical land. They received no inherited land. They just lived on land scattered throughout the nation. And their inheritance was the food that was given to God. When the people would sacrifice to God, they ate that food on God's behalf. And that was their inheritance. God fed them their inheritance. Because they're working for God, they can't grow their own food. They can't raise their own animals. They don't have time for that. So God takes care of them by giving this them this public land to live on and then also giving them food and all of the things that they might need. So that's their inheritance. So they also are scattered amongst the land. Now, back to Simeon. Simeon's land was in the midst of Judah, 
Beersheba was one of the prominent towns in Simeon's territory. And this is where Abraham made a treaty with the Philistines 500 years before that. And he named this place Beersheba, which means the well of the oath, because they made, he made a treaty with the king of the Philistines there by that well. And later Isaac also makes a treaty with the Philistines. And God also came to Isaac in that place and said, I will multiply you and make you into a great nation. And so this land is within Simeon's borders. Now, the rest of these people are going to go pretty fast. They have small pieces of land that don't have much significance. So the third lot went to the tribe of Zebulun. They received the land that was north of Manasseh, which ended up being between Asher and Issachar's, but we haven't, theirs hasn't been a lot yet. Zebulun didn't have any coastal land. The only water was a small brook that ran through their territory. And Cana was really the only significant city that was in Zebulun's land. The fourth lot went to Issachar. So Issachar received the land that was north of Manasseh to the east of Zebulun's. And their land bordered the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee on the east. And then, like I said, Zebulun was on their west. Nazareth was the significant city that was within Issachar's land. Remember, this is where Jesus and his family moved after he was born a few years. And that's where he grew up and stayed until he began his ministry. Then the fifth lot fell to Asher. And Asher received the land that was north of Manasseh to the east of Zebulun's. And this is along the coast, the Mediterranean coast. And it also extended a little further up north than Zebulun's land. So their eastern border was Zebulun, but it was also Naphtali because Naphtali is going to get this land that's north of Zebulun's. And so their land was on the northern coast of Israel and extended slightly into what is now Lebanon. It touched Mount Carmel in the south and reached the fortified city of Tyre in the north. This is Asher's land. Now, Naphtali got the sixth lot. And as I said, their land was north of Zebulun's and west of Asher's. And Manasseh's land that was in the east was there, not the land that was on the western side of the Jordan, but the land that was on the eastern side of the Jordan, that was their eastern border. The Sea of Galilee was on their southwestern border, and Galilee existed within their territory. Today, this would be northeastern Israel, slightly into Lebanon, and then Golan Heights would be their eastern border. That's what Manasseh's land on the east of the Jordan River was. Now, the last lot fell to Dan. All of this other land has been kind of in the north. Dan's land is between Judah's and Manasseh's and has Ephraim and uh, Benjamin's land on its east. So it's on the border of the Mediterranean Sea in the west, 
and Joppa was one of its coastal cities, and then the other people were on its east that I just told you about. Then it, it just briefly tells us that Dan quickly lost their land to the Ammonites. They were not able to ever really live in their land. The Ammonites kind of ran them off. And so they ended up going north, not taking possession of the land that they were actually given, and going north into the mountainous regions of Manasseh's eastern territory, this part over there in the Golan Heights. And they fought the people that were living there, and they took possession of that land, and they renamed that land Dan. And so this became their inheritance instead of the uh, land that Joshua had allotted to them, which would have been on the western edge of the West Bank and into Israel all the way to the sea there. But they didn't accept that land. They went north and got the land that would be in Israel on the northern border of Lebanon and into Syria a little bit. Now, all of the tribes have been given land, but Joshua hasn't been given his piece of land within his tribe. And so now that he's allotted all the land to everyone, now he receives his piece of land from the tribes. The tribes say, Joshua, what land do you want? And he said, I'm from the tribe of Ephraim. And so from the Ephraimite territory, I choose this small city that is in the hill country. It's not really close to anything else. I just want to, you know, rest. He's been waiting for these 45 years, just like Caleb we talked about last week. And he's been the leader since Moses died. And, you know, he was also the protege while Moses was alive. So he's been working all of this time. He wants to kind of get away from it all. He's finally inherited the land. He just wants to enjoy it a little bit. And so he is in this rural area in the hill country and living in this land that God had told him he would get to have. 45 years earlier. So this is all the land been allotted to Israel, to the 12 tribes of Israel. And now I just want to go back, talk about how God has fulfilled all of the promises to Abraham. It's been almost 500 years since God promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit this land. And now they have. God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And so Abraham lived in the land, but he never actually owned any land except for his burial plot. That's the only piece that he actually owned. He bought the land that he was eventually buried on, the land that he wanted to bury Sarah in. That's the only land that he ever owned. He lived as a stranger in the land otherwise. But Abraham did not have to see this specific promise come to fruition to believe that it was true, right? Because God had already fulfilled some of these promises to him. He told Abraham, you won't inherit this land. Your descendants will inherit this land, but I will bless you all of your life and you will live peacefully with the amongst these nations until you die. 
And that happened to Abraham. He lived peacefully. These people sold him this burial plot without any problems. They respected him. They blessed him and God blessed him. He saw that come to fruition. He also was promised a son in his old age and God had fulfilled that promise. God promised that he would have a son come through his body and the body of his wife, Sarah. And God made a miracle happen by giving them Isaac when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, well past childbearing age. This was an actual miracle. And so if God could perform this miracle, if he could give them this promised son, then he could give the promised son all of this land and he could multiply the promised son's family, just like he said, right? Isaac is the beginning of this nation. And God told him that was the case. And it only makes sense that he would be able to fulfill that if he's fulfilled all of the rest of the things. Not only that, but Abraham gets to live long enough to not only see his son born that is a miracle, but also his children. He is alive still when Jacob and Esau are born. So he's starting to see all of these promises be fulfilled. And he has no reason to doubt that God will continue to fulfill his promise. But he didn't see it actually be fulfilled. He had to pass this promise onto his descendants because this was not something that he was actually going to see happen in his lifetime. And so the Bible tells us that he was looking to a more permanent promised land, a heavenly country built for him by God. Listen to this. This is such a wonderful passage in Hebrews. This is Hebrews 11, 8, all the way through 16. And it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of this same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born many as the stars in the sky, in multitude innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. These all died in faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth, not only in the land, but on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not, a be, not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How amazing. God is promising 
Abraham a better country, a heavenly country, a land that is built by him. This is what Abraham was really waiting for. This is the promised land that he was looking ahead to. Because he knew that, yes, he was living in the promised land, but it wasn't his. He didn't have the whole nation yet. That he didn't live as a nation here in this land. He lived amongst the other people. And so he's looking to a more heavenly promised land. How wonderful. Then I want you to listen to Romans 4. This whole chapter is talking about Abraham. I'm going to read you the first five verses and then skip down to 13 and read you the verses that are in the end of this chapter. Romans 4 verses 1 through 5 say, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And then in verse 13, it says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his descendant through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there's transgression. Therefore, if it is of faith, that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which don't exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he might become the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, a being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. This is the important part. It shall also be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And so what this is saying is that that heavenly inheritance that Abraham received, we too 
can receive if we have faith like Abraham. If we have faith like Abraham, then we are his children. Children act like their father, right? They are handed down traits and they do things in the same way. And so we are children of Abraham when we have the same kind of faith that Abraham had. When we believe in the same God that he believed in, it says that all of this is imputed to us. If we believe in God, hope in him like Abraham did, have the same kind of faith where we believe that God can do the things that he says he can do, even when it makes no sense. It says Abraham hoped against all hope. In contrary to all things that make sense, he believed that God could make his wife, whose womb was dead, give life. Who could make him a hundred years old, almost dead himself, give life, then God can do all the rest of these things. If we believe in that God, if we can believe that he can do miraculous things, that he can call things into existence, that is one of the best parts. Let me find that again. I want to read it to you because it's so wonderful. This is verse 17. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. What an amazing statement. If we can believe in that God, then we inherit heaven just like Abraham. All we have to do is step out in faith like him. Just take that step. God called Abraham to step out in faith and go to the place that he would show him. And God does the same thing to us. Step out in faith. Follow me all the days of your life. Believe me. Trust in me. And you will inherit the kingdom of heaven just like Abraham. Not only though, does the Bible tell us that if we do this, if we believe in the same God as Abraham, then we are God, then we are Abraham's descendants. But it says we are children of God and heirs with Jesus. Listen to what John 1, 12 and 13 says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To be born of God, a lot of times we say born again. We were born of the flesh, but to be born of God is different from that. It's not of our will. It's not because our mom and dad got decided to get together and have a kid. It's because the spirit of God bore us because we are born of his spirit. Whenever we believe in Jesus, the son that God sent to die for our sins, the perfect one, then he sends his Holy Spirit to seal us. And that says, you are now a child of God. You are born of God, no longer just of man. And then we get to be heirs with Jesus. We get to inherit the same heaven that he inherits. 
When Jesus died, he was buried and then rose again on the third day. And then it says, after 40 days, he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus inherited heaven and we get to be joint heirs with him if we are also God's children. See, Jesus is God's son. And if we're also his children, we get to inherit the same thing. This is Romans 8, 13 to 17. For if you live according to the flesh, then you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. So this is what we were talking about before, about being born of the flesh. If you're just born of the flesh and you walk in the flesh, then you die in the flesh. But if you are born again of the spirit, if you believe in Jesus and receive that Holy Spirit, then you put to death the deeds of the body and you live eternally in heaven with him. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If we're following our father, then we are his sons. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That means daddy, father. The spirit himself bears witness that I, with our spirit that we're children of God. So we all have spirits within us, but the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit saying, yes, these are children of God. I, the Holy Spirit, now dwell within this person and I'm testifying this is God's child. That's what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. And if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together with him. Adopted. You see, we're all born of the flesh, but if God adopts us and calls us his child, then we get to live in heaven with him forever. Then we are joint heirs with Abraham and with jo with Jesus. We get to have the same inheritance that they do. We just have to have the same faith that, that Abraham does. And we have to participate with Jesus in his death by handing our sins over to him so that he can die for them. And then he can give us his righteousness. And now God looks at us and he says, I see the blood of Jesus covering this person's sins. And I see the Holy Spirit that was sent to them. And that spirit testifies to me and says, yes, this is a child of yours, God. When you die, then he testifies, this is one of your children, Lord. And this person gets to go to heaven, inherit the eternal land there. And then listen to this. Jesus is the one that gives us our home in heaven. This is John 14, 2 and 3. It says, this is Jesus talking. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go now to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, then I'll come again and I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So our build the city 
that is in heaven waiting for us, builder and maker is God. Jesus says, I'm going to go and build you a mansion. Courtney, you specifically, not building a million mansions up there and somebody's going to get them. No, I'm going to go prepare a place specifically for you. When you accept me as your savior, then the Holy Spirit comes and seals you and says, testifies, yes, this person, Jesus, needs a mansion in heaven. And I prepare that place for you. I am building you a home in this caused land. What a thing for us to look forward to. And so we too, just like Abraham, we right now, we're promised a land, but we can't see it. And so are we going to be like Abraham and say, you know, God, you're promising me something that I don't have any proof that I'm going to get. But I've seen other things that you promised me. And I see that those things have been fulfilled. And I trust that you'll also fulfill this promise. And so I'm going to live for you. I'm going to continue living for you. I hope that you've seen that. I hope that you have seen God's promises fulfilled in your life. But if you're a brand new Christian or you're just thinking about accepting Jesus as your Savior, then look to other people. Read these words. Believe them. Believe that God promised things to people and that they were fulfilled. Ask other Christians. Let them testify to you of all of the promises that God has fulfilled in their life so that you can believe on those promises. You can step out in faith. You can follow God all of your life so that you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit and so that Jesus can begin preparing a place for you. We have a promised land waiting for us. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and he can do the same thing for us. So anyway, that is all. Next week, we're going to talk about the Levitical land. We talked about everybody else's land. We know how Levi inherited the land. And then we just need to see the specifics of it. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Also, go to livethroughjesus.com or to the Substack. You can read the blog post at Substack for free. And read the blog post about God's promise and our promised land. It's encouraging. It has all of the verses that I've read here. And then if you'd like this written lesson, subscribe to Substack and you'll get a lesson every week. This exact same lesson that I give on podcast and YouTube, but it's written down. You get all of the, the scriptures and a little bit more commentary than what I'm saying here. You can take that study, print it out, study it by yourself. Print one and give it out to your friends and you can study with a group. So that's there for you. If it's something that you like, that's $6 a month or $60 a year if you choose to do that. Otherwise, you can still go to Substack and read the free blog post or go to withthroughjesus.com and read the free blog post. So also join me on social media because I post a lot of scriptures on there also. And those are things that you can share with your friends or whatever. So anyway, that is all. And I'll see y'all back next week. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.